So we're live. Three, two, one. We were already live. I'm hallucinating. I am so far down the well of of non-health right now. <laughs> what have you been putting in your body? <sighs> Caffeine? Sugar? Plastic. Well, here something. Okay, so uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. We are here at the K-Piss studio. Yeah, I'm lying all the way down on the couch, and Anders is uh, treating me. Treating me to. I do. I am. I kind of look like a therapist right now. And you're well. I'm. Yeah, you're, like you're lying on the Donald couch. Trump as a therapist. Ooh, what a nightmare that would be. But <laughs> What's your problem? You ever considered going out there making more big deals? I think you're not winning. <laughs> not enough winning. I look at you. I see a loser. But you've been eating a lot of sugar. Yeah. This well, week. today. Today, and something that we touched on was in Cuba. They um, focused on... It sounded like they They put... They only had the machine set up to make sugar. Yeah, it sounded like if if nine-year-old me was in charge of a country, like that's what happened in Cuba. And I wish you were. That would have... I mean, I think it would be better than... No, I'm cramming myself full of sugar today because I'm a walking corpse and I'm trying to be entertaining on the internet. Uh fellas you're gonna love this one we have fellas. such a good guest i use fellas non-genderedly that's why i say folks oh folks is a better version of that yeah. fellas just sounds so funny that I, sound like real mickey mouse club aesthetics i yeah i didn't realize that i i, I use that fellas and i didn't realize i have had women be mad at me for calling them guys or fellas anyway this has somehow got distracted but we have Danny Catch on, who is I will say kind of a catch. He's a bit of a catch for the show. He's an author. He's a thespian. He has a daughter. We saw her. She came in. Oh, and in other guest related news, uh Mike.com's Jack Smith Four, who's been on the show two times, is uh in jail or was at Standing Rock. He's back at Standing Rock. Uh they went to go take down the camps again because the federal government has changed their position on easing off for the camps. And uh, Jack jumped on front of a police horse or something. I don't know what he did. It just happened. But I have a lot of assumptions about that so leather-jacketed fellow. I th- at right now, he's in the clink. I think, he's, he's, out, out, I think he's, he's like just out of the clink. But uh, Glenn Greenwald's tweeting about him, which is pretty cool. If we can get Glenn Greenwald on the show... I feel like we'll have up to three fans. <laughs> I'm not just saying that. Also, trolls. Yeah, we get more trolls. Definitely. We have uh, none still. Although you you use the left chest account, the Twitter. Uh-huh. I feel like you're out there. You're trying to scrounge up some trolls. Trying. Yeah, yeah. I pick fights with. Um, Here's how the Twitter works. Whenever there's a retweet or some bullshit uh, marketing garbage, that's me. And then whenever. It is somebody interacting with a journalist and trying to pick a fight. That is Anders. And that's how you know how the Twitter works. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to Lipstick Socialist, who is our number one fan. And uh, followed up from last episode, found out there are Amish dating websites. It was not just a lie off the top of my head. It's a real thing. And there's farm boys finding love. I'm still not clear on how it... So it's for people who want to date an Amish? 
It's or, if you are Amish, well, you, get you get a on the year website? off for Rumspringa. Oh, so it's just for Rumspringa. I tried to read the website, but it is borderline not English. Is It's in Dutch? It's Yeah, it's in Dutch. Well, that's they, a lot of them speak that. Um, but see... Uh, Hold on, I'm going to get it up. Keep talking. To pick fights on Twitter, what I do is I search Bernie Sanders, anyone who badmouths Bernie... Bernie is Anders' dad. A taste of Anders. He works in broadcasting. A taste of the real left chest. But it's purely for promotion. Um, and today... It does work. People like it. Yeah. Today we have a guest who is a little critical of Bernie Sanders. And um, that is a problem here in Bushwick if you are a young, uh, under 30 white male who criticizes Bernie Sanders. You are forced to shave your facial hair. Um, and if you let someone criticize him, then they take away your vaporizer, which is happening to me. That's true. After the show, so Anders' lungs are turning to tar. But uh, Danny is allowed to criticize Bernie Sanders because he is that cool. Uh, I found AmishOnlineDating.com. Here's the tagline under the name: "A flower along ye gravelled pathway, Yoder L." Uh, and there's a quick search, and it says, I am ye, search, seeking your. <laughs> the options are beard or bonnet. I can't tell if this is a real website. Yeah, it sounds like a parody account, I would say, or website. How would you even know? Sign up for it, find out. Uh, wait, it's kind of featured on a lot of things, though. All right. You know what? We're going to follow up on this next week. There's going to be there's gonna be an, an investigation. All right. And now it is time for you to investigate our great interview with the legendary Danny Catch. Hang in there. Uh, left chest. Thank you for turning in the left jest. Anders Lee here with Alex Batak. I'm Anders' friend. We are very uh, privileged this week to be joined by the esteemed Danny Catch, who is uh, a very uh, talented writer and an organizer, columnist for Socialist Worker. Thank you for coming on the show today, Danny. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, and we're also joined uh, by a silent observer, Lila. Is she silent? Hi. Yep, there you go. Lila will be monitoring for human rights abuses throughout <laughs> the program. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, the HR um, representative slash Danny's publicist, I believe, right? Oh, yeah. She actually did. I wrote, an, um, before Social Seriously, I wrote a book that she actually did give a blurb when she was seven that was, it's even boringer to read than it is to listen to. And, that, <laughs> that made, and the publisher was like, this is the greatest blurb we've ever, we've ever received. So. He, well, he is author of... Socialism. Ellipses. Seriously, which is a great book, everyone should check out from ellipses, Haymarket. For the listener, three dots. Three. Finally, someone pronounced it with the ellipses. I've been waiting for two years for that. How do people usually say it? They just say socialism. Seriously, do they or, pronounce the pause? <laughs> yeah, well, like right. So it's. I think it's sort of meant to be like socialism. Seriously, but you'll get socialism. Dot. 
uh, you know, it's all it's all. Did, did you go through the drafts of socialism? Seriously? Absolutely. With the question mark. I at mean, the, end? the debate, the, the great colon ellipses debate was was tremendous. So. It's got like a real '90s feel to the. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, it is uh, a blue cover, but it's got a red flag. It's a beautiful on the front. Book. Yeah, very pretty. This is also like not a recent release, so we're not. Like, well, yeah, <laughs> it's but not that's like what exactly I wanted. A to, book tour, right? Now. But I wanted right. to start with like when you were writing this. This uh, came out like 2015, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, how, was it in the back of your head that something like Trump could happen in in, in the United States? Was that like, uh, you know, no? I mean, it, certainly. I wish I, you know, I, I'd like to go back and be like, oh yeah, I totally knew this all along, but. Uh-huh. If you looked at how much crazier Republicans were getting every four years, I, I suppose you knew that whoever the candidate would be, like right. you wouldn't have been surprised if would this be the year that a Sarah Palin type is going to actually win the nomination. But then Trump just takes it to a whole other yeah. degree of absurdity. But then he also, I think, on the serious side, really captured this like European style far right xenophobic thing that you know that that hadn't happened for either so both on the like absurd side and the legitimately he logically fills in the blank of like what would be crazier like as a next logical step you you guys uh, have great functional memories what happened to sarah palin last election last in 2016 she was was in the game for like two seconds well she um gave a speech supporting trump back in the primary and she she made donald trump make the face that was like uncomfortable with what she because she was just so all over the place just like you know donald trump could you visibly seemed like a little bit like okay let's get her off stage like hmm. she was just bad she was talking in a lot of rhyming couplets and she's she's on i from what i've heard some medication that uh messes with the pale in mind but Not uh, really that's what i've heard yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but i also thought i mean she was the first one who just seemed to be nakedly trying to use the presidential race just to cash in yeah. with a reality show on a Fox thing. And then Trump was actually doing the same thing, right. but just one, which is all, which is the whole other level of mm-hmm. bizarreness that the situation we're in happened by accident. You know what I mean? At least, at least for the first six months, the guy clearly was just trying to parlay this into his own yeah. network or whatever. Like, did, Dude, you know. they Say all what like, you will, though, but at least he had the propriety to already have the reality television show. That right. wasn't his end goal. Right. And I mean, the Republicans in general need more people who are shooting machine guns out of helicopters. <laughs> he wanted a, a network, right? For, he like wanted it to be a cable. Right, because yeah. his thing was that Fox News was you know, way too liberal. So right. that, was, that, that was his angle. <laughs> yeah. And what's, what's funny and to watch he is... He like angered everyone who works there right. <laughs> during the primary. Yeah. So everyone who... Any, or, or groped them probably. Yeah. You know, right. one, one or the other. I mean, Kellyanne Conway definitely seems like she did not think this was going to... Like, she definitely wanted just a better pundit job, and now she's... She just sounds surprised at all times. I'm not even sure if it pertains to any situation. I think she's always just like, "Ah, another morning, just as I expected. You know, like always covering for something she doesn't really understand. Right. Yeah. Um, It's like overcompensating confidence. mm -hmm. You can can smell it. (laughs) Smell it through the TV. Well, anyway, we so uh, Trump is as a lot of people consider it a political crisis. Of course, um, we have economic crises, foreign policy crises, and all these things. And uh, I think, at least 
for me growing up, you're not really trained to like look at that as part of a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess I wanted to start uh, by talking about capitalism in the sense that like everybody knows that word, right? And I think it um, for most people, you, you think of like money and numbers running around and, and like on the stock market and stuff. But like as a system, I don't um, and I even find myself struggling to answer when people are like, OK, well, what do you mean by capitalism? Um, so I just finished the book today like this morning and i'm pretty sure correct me if i'm wrong here maybe this was from somewhere else Mm -hmm. but there's a blurb in there from someone about how you know capitalism is in danger when people start using the word capitalism right because it's supposed to just be a natural part of the ethos something you don't even think about right it's such a ubiquitous thing that people don't even like think to about what it is i know you had like a very young political awakening but i don't even think the word really crossed between my ears 10 times between the ages of 10 to 20. Well, I could say, you know, being representing an older generation, shall we say, coming of age in the 90s. And we respect that. I, I appreciate that. It's about damn time. We have a lot to learn. You do. <laughs> um, no, but so in the 90s, you know, I would be, I was an activist. I'd be involved in protests. I was a socialist back then. And when you would try to, certainly if you tried to take an issue, even if it was in a, you know, a quote-unquote class issue, like a strike or something like that. But certainly if it was around police killing black people, abortion rights or whatever, and you tried to connect it up with, with the word capitalism, you'd get funny looks. People would be like, ugh, like there's the socialist again. Always has to drag that in. And I noticed around a few years ago, it was when, like, people were rising up in Ferguson after Michael Brown was killed. You know, everyone was talking about capitalism. You know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. I would go to protests, and no matter what they were... People were talking about intersectionality. People were being like, whatever we're saying here, we also have to think about Palestine. We have to think like and 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 I know it can sometimes take the feel of like a laundry list, but it also was like people really trying to say, like, no, I do think this stuff's all connected. And I don't know exactly what's what accounts for that change, but it's so different than when I was an activist, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And it was like, no, we just have to stick to this issue. Like, you're going to, like, scare the crap out of people if you start bringing up capitalism right. and socialism. And that's just not. There, where there people were, are feeling it was that. about turtles right that was the, right what people tried to make the wto I mean, that was a big issue i was about to say the wto protests weren't those like pretty verbally anti-capitalist or no it's true you do where right, you had that section there was that movement specifically around the free trade deal like the global trade organizations but then also like then that got snuffed out after 9-11 i was planning on going to a protest a few days after 9-11 in dc where the world <laughs> bank and the imf were gonna meet and it was like zzz, you know, like uh, it just that it just was got shut down. I don't want to be put in a black bag. In the street. <laughs> right. But I remember hearing that was going to make the battle in Seattle look like you know a, a pleasant afternoon, right? Uh, that was going to be huge. With a a skirmish. City, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I heard skirmish. it was like going to be a record-setting. Like, I mean, maybe that was people talking it up after the fact, but. Uh, but right, it's always easier afterward to be like, oh, yeah. It would have been oh, fun. No. That would have ended it. <laughs> Bush would have been gone. I was bringing firecrackers. <laughs> I had all this. My uncle knows a guy who has these really loud pop rocks. It doesn't sound like much, but what's in your mouth, dude? It's so loud. Oh, that would be crazy. Is that your Boston guy? I don't know. I'm not good at impressions, as has been heavily established on the show. <laughs> um. Uh, but it, speaking of impressions, the impression 
of capitalism, right? We have a very surface level idea. Most people have the imagery associated with it, but just a bare bones. How how would you define it in just a very simple definition? All for right. People? Okay. So I think um, the way most of us think about capitalism, certainly the way capitalists think about capitalism, is that it's all about uh, the free exchange of of goods, of ideas, of labor, all that kind of stuff, and that is part of it. You know, compared to when you're a peasant working for a lord who works for a king and everybody knows their place and you know what I mean and like right. it's it, it there is that but the part about capitalism the other side of it is it's also very much about power so like if you are that peasant and the lord it's very obvious that like well these few people have all the rights to own the land and da da da, da and these people are just born to do that capitalism on the one hand looks like it's not like that but then underneath it it's like well most of us have to have no choice but to work and like have to compete against each other for work. And some of us own, you know, what the means of production would be the, 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 the very Marxy way of saying it, but it's real. You know what I mean? Like the own the stuff to employ people. There was just an, I was just checking out the other day. There's an article in like Bloomberg about all these Uber drivers that are, that sleep, like that work 14 hour days and then find parking lots to sleep in at night because they all live like 60 miles from the cities where the rich people are like, they can't afford to live there. And it was just, it was really, Really interesting article, but it ends with one of these guys who's working 14-hour days in the Bay Area, sleeps in like a um, Safeway parking lot with some other Uber drivers, and he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm free. Do you know what I mean? Like, I get mm-hmm. to control my own life. Like, this is freedom for me. And it's like, right, so that's capitalism. And some people obviously are more aware of their unfreedom than that yeah. person, but he could be coming for some job. Where he felt every day his face was being ground into how unfree he was by some <laughs> horrible supervisor or whatever. And so even for him, like the freedom to just run yourself ragged and sleep in parking lots, that's, you know, like that, that's that it is freedom. But on the other hand, there's this who has this the wealth and who doesn't means not nah, not not so free. Actually, if you don't sleep for enough of a period, you develop these uh, hallucination type feelings that feel like freedom. <laughs> right. And what it actually is is less blood getting up to your brain and it's very dangerous right i'm a bit split on how to direct this episode because uh, like half of our fans our web persons are already drinking the kool-aid on this kind of mm-hmm. stuff like they know about they're already into left politics that's how they found the podcast but also now my extended family has found this show <laughs> and uh i think it's pretty important to lay out some basics they're anarcho-primitivist right uh yeah there are a lot of boston area anarcho-primitivists who uh you know, consult crystals a lot. Uh, but I, I thought it would be helpful to maybe explain, you know, some things people, some misconceptions of socialism sure. as a as a beginning point, you know, because growing up in America, we all have a lot of understandings of, you know, what socialism is based on the USSR or the movie Jaws or anything like that. And, um, you know, is socialism when Joseph Stalin comes to your house and makes everyone eat foods they don't like, even though it is Christmas? God, I the yeah the horrible Brussels sprouts incident of 1932. I know mm-hmm. it was, it's, it's hard. <laughs> we still haven't gotten over that. So I think the the main misconception people have of socialism, whether they're for it or against it, is that it, it's just about the government either owning everything or doing stuff. So what I mean is, you'll even hear people who are like, I remember. In the when Bernie was starting to run, and you know you'd see like on social media people who were trying to you know defending socialism from their family members or whatever, and sometimes they would go to this like, do you like highways? Well, guess what? That's socialism. Like, do you uh-huh. like fire departments? And I understand the idea of trying to demystify socialism, but right. I was also motivated when I was writing the book to, 
I was also motivated against that because I'm like, okay, for, if for the first time in a generation or two, people are finally starting to be like questioning capitalism, not everybody, but a lot questioning capitalism and socialism. Let's not make so, let's not let the message be like, hey, guess what? Like this shitty world we're in, it's socialism already. Like the whole point <laughs> is people are looking for something very you different. You know the DMV? <laughs> right, exactly. That's socialism, buddy. <laughs> right. Thanks to Uncle Sam. We should have everything run like the DMV. Right. Everyone's favorite place. <laughs> so, I mean, again, like Donald Trump, you don't get a more government intervention-y guy than Donald Trump. This guy is not free market at all. He's all about strong government. That's not socialism, right? So I think it's both, both on that end and yeah, but then in terms of the question of Stalin and North Korea and all that. Again, people are looking at, at regimes. And in Russia, the difference is it comes out of a revolution that really could have gone different directions. It wasn't mm -hmm. just like government. It wasn't just like the Red Army tanks roll in and now things are socialism. That's what they then did in Eastern Europe after right. the war. It was like, hey, it's suddenly, faster. Right. Just like, boom, <laughs> socialism. But the idea that just saying everything is, you know, is, is called just because something's called the people's this and the people's that government ownership of everything you know, we have we have government ownership of our post office. It's not socialism, right? I mean, it's, it's, so like it, it, it actually is about the control. You won't find of more people. liberated looking people than the people who work at the post right. office. Just ask them. Ask them about their day. They're happy. They're behind bulletproof glass because they're so happy. Right. You actually that's, cover that's freedom. You cover the whole Russian, uh, you know, misconception really, really well in the book. I thought because no matter how you broach the topic, there's no way to not confront, <laughs> confront it. Uh, there's just 50 to 100 years of program. It's 2017. 100 full years of programming against these people. Even, like, the first five years, Soviet Union's in power? There's not even any, like, good reason to have propaganda against them, but France, England, all the capitalists in those places were already making their uh, red bear eats child pamphlets. Well, socialism, so... You know, if people, I'm sure people are asking, if it's not the government, then what is it? Who is controlling production? Who is controlling the society and our institutions, if not the state, and if not some capitalist? Yes. <laughs> us. I yeah. mean, the idea is us. Right. And to say that doesn't mean, and the first question you also get is, well, show me one country where that's happening. And the answer to that is also, oh, yeah, there are none. Because first of all, just like you, the idea that, one, I, don't, I don't know if I wrote this in the book, but to me, socialism is not just a, it's not an idea for what how could society be. It's like a phase of history that we're not yet in. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like you couldn't have if, if the whole if the whole world was, you know, the economic system was feudalism, to use that example again, little peasants, and, you know, uh, and, and knights and all this kind of stuff, owning little pieces of land. You couldn't just have one country that was just this modern capitalist country being like, okay, well, we make uh, cars and we grow bananas, <laughs> yeah. but we need to trade with it. No, there's no, like, we live right, in a global right. <laughs> economy. So you think about an island like Cuba where, like, again, you know, where I think there's no doubt of the sort of genuine left-wing intentions of, the you know, the people who led that revolution and it was also, and they were totally right to, put, you know, oppose lots of stuff the U.S. was doing. But you can't just have some island where it's like, okay, we grow sugar and um, we can try and to slowly develop that industry surrounded <laughs> by like a hostile world where it's like, okay, we grow sugar, but we pay our, you know, you want, if you have no choice, but for the, you, you can't have the sugar workers in that one communist country actually controlling things because they would want to get paid a real wage. But if you're competing with all the people who grow sugar around the world in capitalist countries that are getting paid slave labor, you know, or, or, mm -hmm. or, or barely more than that, right? You have a problem. So 
I think that there's, and you know, so so that's partly the idea of why it's. It could sound unrealistic to right. talk about socialism needing to be a global system, but really capitalism was something that developed in a couple countries uh-huh. and then spread relentlessly. That's half of the Communist Manifesto, if anyone's ever read it, is they're just talking about how capitalism is just very impressively spread around the world. And they're Workers doing that the for a reason, because they're trying to imply like, oh, there's another thing that could and, do that too. And socialism right. was spreading around the world and was physically actively stopped right. by our government, mostly because we were the head of the empire. Or whatever, but um, you can't you can't make it work as an island. It just it doesn't happen. I've been rewatching Cuba Libre, uh, which is the Netflix special where they just go over the history or whatever. And sixties Cuba is so heroic, man. They really like tried everything to make that happen, and they just had no support at all. Uh, they one year tried to make ten million gallons of sugar, so everyone in the country stopped what they were doing to just make sugar to export that and then it just destroyed the whole economy like by the point where you're just focusing in on the one thing you can do you've tried the whole gamut of things uh it's it's very creative i guess is my point in a way that you're not going to get under an uncontrolled economy and just the one the one you know in terms of trying to picture what it, it sounds so abstract or crazy just to be like oh we would control everything well, okay, well, let's think about Wikipedia as just one example among mm-hmm. many, which we just because it doesn't make a profit, we've all sort of quickly come to just accept as this thing. And I yeah. know whatever there could be, you know, it's it, it's not necessarily perfect, but it's clearly a model. People of, love it. Yeah, right. And it, People it, it, who are it works not like socialist. 95% or right. whatever. Right. And these are thou- tens of thousands of people not motivated by profit, but just motivated by being part of a collective project. But also, even in terms of what it looks for people to come together around the world, I mean, we have so much more the ability for people now to actually communicate and make instantaneous decisions, you know, with with our current technology than what we had 100 years ago or 50 years ago is, is it's, it's so obvious that it doesn't even need to be saying some of the biggest companies we have now, whether it's Google, Facebook, these are also these are business models that they had to even struggle to figure out how to do it based on profit. The whole problem for years was, oh, it's the service that everyone needs and we can't make money off it. You know, and, and the, the original founders were okay with that, but until they finally had to get slowly take more bites out of the apple from all their investors to then say like, oh, I get it. We can spy on all of our users, use their own information against them, sell it to advertisers. But that has nothing to do with the product that, that thousands of people came together to create. You know? Yeah, we have an issue where our invention is uh, just good for people. Right. And uh, we're not <laughs> that was actually a problem. On it, so. <laughs> uh, not really working out. No, well, I, I sometimes, I, just, I, no, mean, no. I, I do sometimes think that if they, if they discovered a nearby planet that just had a certain mineral that could that could cure every disease and power our energy, you know, like was completely renewable and, um, for, you know, somehow it came about that it was, you know, completely free to use, uh, we'd be fucked, actually. Because because the people that run on the side so would have close no... To happening, I, right. <laughs> they would have no idea what to do with it. You know what I mean? They would immediately have to wage wars for, no, who's going to be the ones who control this and don't let other people, you know, act the way capitalism... We couldn't handle... Um, you know the the solution to to climate change if it if it if it came you know for I saw, free. I saw some like hot take on the internet yesterday because they had the big uh what the what the new planets they found the exoplanets. Do you remember the name of that? It's like Strick One or something. The seven ones that yeah, are the seven planet. They have right. some catchy name, but uh, uh, the big announcement was within the next few years NASA will be able to monitor the atmosphere of these planets that are forty light years away. And somebody on the internet was like. 
Isn't it weird NASA's now allowed to monitor any atmosphere except our planet? (laughs) (laughs) This is the one that just is not economic growth based (laughs) because we'll have to just stop the machines and everything. Right. Well, with asteroid mining and stuff, though, like we have a hard deadline of like 20 years or something to make some serious changes. Yeah. I mean, it's I wonder if people are already developing this like what technologies to deal with climate change and that's going to become its own did you ever read this changes and, everything uh yeah well no not the whole thing that's like the saddest yeah, part yeah, of the book yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Right. oh man you read so much Anders. it changed everything I read. <laughs> well see i was i was uh i read no logo when i was 17 and my takeaway what uh, from it was i started turning my socks inside out so the adidas logos wouldn't Oh Fenner my would goodness! Shame people about That's all their, she was uh, asking for. Yeah, yeah. You yep. were such a cooler seventeen-year-old than I was. I'm so oh, jealous. I was awful. I had a goatee. It was bad. I was um, just watching every episode of Battlestar Galactica every day. That's a good political education. But every single day. Um, well, certainly. I mean, socialism hasn't existed in a total way yet, right? But there are pieces of it that come into being every now and again, um, like uh, Spain. Right, as an example, where it almost happened. I mean, the... Uh, the poom. Right. How, does anybody know how you're supposed to pronounce that? Do you, are you supposed to say the letters? There's an ellipsis, actually, in it. It's weird. Pe- <laughs> yeah. Poom. 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 No, I, I just read... Um, I just read um, Homage to Catalonia last summer. Oh, it's my favorite book. It's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Even if you weren't politically interested in it, it's... Mm-hmm. A, fascinating to yeah. know that that actually happened there right. was an army where you were allowed to turn down orders that was like standing up against fascist like test grounds for all of the world war ii weapons for like a surprisingly long time right well no i i do think i mean i i didn't know where you were going to go with it when you were talking about how there's either sort of fragments of socialism and glimpses of it but i'm, uh-huh. glad, I'm glad you went where you did because i i do think that looking at some revolutions and revolutionary experiences is to me, it's the clear that's that's what we have to look at to right. get a glimpse of what a society is possible. And I, I think and this is going to be more controversial. We, when we look at the uprisings of the Arab Spring, it's very easy once they failed for people to people who are nice safely here in New York to get super cynical about it and be like, well, that was never this or like. But what, again, and you had it was in a different moment when, you know, you didn't have big socialist parties. So they didn't they, like the, the parties that, that were immediately able to take advantage of it or more Islamist parties and stuff like that. But if we still understand that there's nothing outdated about the idea that there come moments in time when millions of people actually start rising up, start looking for ways, not just in one riot, but start built trying to organize themselves in Syria. They started trying to build local coordinating committees. And yeah, it, it turn you know, it turns into a civil war, it starts getting manipulated by other countries. But we have we always have to be to me to be a, a socialist and be attuned to the idea that another world is possible it's those revolutionaries if, if it's those revolutionary upheavals whether they win or not that's what has to have our solidarity and mm-hmm. it's easy to get cynical and look at them all and say, and say but they've all lost but based you know the, i think there's a comparison i have early in the book it was like well there was a few hundred years of slave rebellions that also in the end 
always lost until a couple of them won. You know, until there right. was a re rebellion in Haiti that actually overthrew slavery. Until there was a civil uh -huh. war in this country. That, that was one of my favorite points yeah. you made. But there's in the hundreds book. of years where it was yeah. like easy to look back on and be like, well, clearly this is never going to win. You know, like we just have to, <laughs> if, you know, figure out that, that, that we're always going to have slavery. These By the way, slaves the aren't Bible... even free at the end. I don't even know why we bothered killing all those families. Right. right. Yeah. So, uh, well, then how do we confront the question of, say, there is after the revolution uh, and we there's someone who gets power and they have to compete against the United States and other these major capitalist powers. Uh, what do you say to the, the point of view that it's uh, that it's um, always going to happen? It's inevitable where you get a Stalin or a Castro who's going to get all this state power and uh, use it to persecute people. You know, I think. Again, I think it's based on a small sample size, uh -huh. for one, right? I mean, because it, right, so that's the way it's happened so far in the 20th century, not with hundreds of examples, but with a few. But I also like think seven when, or something. right, <laughs> but it, but also the the, I think there's a perception of oh, it's about power corrupts. It's like the 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 the, the animal. I mean, Orwell's great, Amish Catalonia. Animal Farm is a cool book, but that idea that it's just like oh, they get power and then they turn corrupt is really, um, it's sort of like saying, oh, the American Revolution happened, this, that it was this personal quality of, of, of Stalin. It's, it's like saying the American Revolution happened because George Washington was so honest that he, he had to tell someone when he chopped down the cherry tree. It's like Stalin was one guy among many in a revolution that lost, meaning over years the people who let, they get invaded by other countries, like the workers that lead the revolution or, or get, it's, the revolution isn't spreading to other countries. We were saying before our socialism has to be international. And at the end, this dude, the last dude standing, Stalin, starts creating this new monstrous regime using all the same words and rhetoric. But but the idea that it was just like he got corrupt like a movie and started turning everything bad. It's it. Um, Wouldn't it be impressive if one man could make the entire Russian Empire bad? Right. That place is so big. Every time you see a globe, it just looks like they got the borders wrong. <laughs> I can't imagine like how dastardly you'd have to be to single-handedly screw something as nice as the Soviets up for everybody by yourself. Right, and somehow convince these millions of people that have like they're not just sort of going to work every day blindly, but they've they've been fighting in the revolution, they've been risking their lives just to like immediately give everything. Okay, we'll go work in some prison camps in Siberia. Like if you say that it's for the uh -huh. go to the revolution, you know what I mean? Like that's that's yeah. not what was happening there. That's the best part of being a Marxist is you believe in material conditions shaping the world around you, and that's right. the bedrock that you can really fall back on over and over again when you know people get up in your mentions uh, is. <laughs> It, the, the material outlook of the universe is so much more scientific than waiting for market corrections to kind of make nice things happen, which is this weird, almost like shaman-like belief you have to have that capitalism will just make things work. The market, baby. Uh, well, your catchphrase. <laughs> 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 that is, I mean, one of the uh, kind of frustrating things <clears throat> I think about growing up like after the Cold War, as people associate, um, I mean, we we're talking about freedom earlier, and that's what the, one of the main thrusts of socialism is. Is about freedom. When I think of it, you know, you don't if you have to work, every, you know, for most of your life, you have to spend working for somebody else, even if you have the freedom to like leave and go work for different people, or you know, maybe figure out a way where you can like exploit other people to uh, live comfortably. Um, that ain't free, you know. Um, 
And so that's I, that, I think that's a, that's a big thing that people miss is like the amount of freedom you would have. You most of your time could be applied to whatever you want, as opposed to now. Um, yeah. But something I did want to touch on is you have a passage in the book mm-hmm. where you're talking about um, you know say we, we have a revolution, we have global socialism. Um, it's not perfect nobody's happy all the time which i think is another important point because we're not cultists right we uh it's you know there's Only still gonna be... i am a cultist <laughs> uh so if if you could read a, a passage here this is on page 71 of socialism seriously um this is a chapter called imagine when somebody waking up under socialism real quick will i be putting this to music up to you if it calls for it all right i'll listen in <laughs> Sure. Do you want me to read the, Please, whole, the yes. whole sort of the day in, under socialism? That'd be great. Okay, yeah. sure. Um, okay, shut up, you hoarsely whisper. I'm awake. The voice recognition system in your bed long ago learned to recognize your grouchy early day tone and shuts off the alarm. It's 4.30 a.m. on the first Tuesday of the month, your day to help open the restaurant. The only thing worse than working early day is working early day on a Tuesday, the beginning of the work week. It's nice that we've gotten rid of so many of the old pointless jobs of capitalism, public relations, investment banking, mall security, and so on, and distributed the work that actually needs to get done so that most people just work Tuesdays through Thursdays. But you're not exactly in a grateful mood this early on a cold-ass February morning. So out of the warm bed you go, stretching quietly to not wake up the person still sleeping. You stumble down the hall to the bathroom, still feeling your way around this funky old Victorian house. It's a three-monther that you signed up for with some new friends at the restaurant. You barely knew them before moving in, but it's going pretty well. Many people choose to live in one permanent place the old-fashioned way, especially older generations and those who experience the trauma of homelessness, which is now considered a bygone horror like smallpox or bubonic plague. One of the first post-revolution priorities for city and neighborhood assemblies was to create well-built and pleasant housing for all who needed it out of the millions of houses, mansions, and offices that capitalism had abandoned, underused, or stupidly used, public relations, investment banking. But in recent years, there's been a growing desire to break out of the, quote, suffocating prison of sameness, as one radical pamphlet called it. The movement for varied housing started out in fevered debates in public squares in Mexico City and Seoul. Although their initial proposals to city assemblies failed to win majorities, their mix-it-up internet channel became wildly popular among many who had grown up post-capitalism. Within a few months, teenager committees were voting overwhelmingly, and truth be told a little sneeringly, to demand that varied housing be made available. As has often been the case under socialism, the teens got what they wanted and they turned out to be mostly right. People of all ages have been signing up to live in what capitalist societies would have called timeshares. This is how old I am. I call it timeshares. I could have said Airbnb or whatever. Um, the, resulting, the resulting shift of housing stock from perm to temp has, of course, created a lot more administrative construction and design work for the housing sector. But many mix-it-up activists understood this would be the case and signed up for jobs in housing to meet the need that they had created. You've never worked in housing, which is surprising because sometimes it seems like you've worked every other job. You aren't even 30 years old and already you've been a kindergarten teacher, an urban forest ranger, a firefighter apprentice, and most recently, a worker at the plant that retrofits appliances and automobiles that were made under capitalism and therefore designed to consume as much energy as possible and then break down within 10 years. You get to work just in time to help open up. After setting up the kitchen, you grab some coffee and a muffin and sit down at a small table against the wall. Some mornings you like to join the social diners at one of the long tables, but you're a little preoccupied today, so you finish breakfast quickly and get back to the kitchen. 
Work is busy, not because there are more diners than usual, but because a bunch of them want to be served in the old-fashioned style at their tables, rather than just getting food from the kitchen themselves. You don't mind, it's fun actually, but it means you've got to hustle, especially when the three classes of eight-year-olds come in at 11 to learn how to make oatmeal cookies. That was your favorite part of grade school, the weekly trips to different workplaces. You were the first third grader to figure out how to splice a fiber optic cable, and the slowest to climbing up and down the manhole ladders. It still blows your mind that before socialism, people under a certain age had to sit in school all day without ever seeing work, and people above that age had to do the opposite. After your sheepish exit from work, you hop on a public bike to go see your uncle. The visit has been putting you on edge all day. Uncle Mike is a diehard prophetist. He was a rising young executive for a big pharmaceutical company before the revolution who found it impossible to reconcile himself to the radical democracy of mass assemblies that replaced the Wall Street Pentagon regime. He worked alongside other prophetess to sabotage the new system, organizing medicine shortages in city hospitals. People died because of Uncle Mike, and he was sentenced to 10 years in one of Pennsylvania's prisons. A common joke in those early years was that socialism had gentrified the jails because they had become so much richer and whiter. He was released a few years early, along with most of the other inmates, after their networks were broken up and they no longer represented a threat to anyone's safety. He still runs a crank profitous website and gets together with old friends in a coffee shop, which they still proudly insist on calling Dunkin' Donuts, to mutter about how much better things used to be. Your visit with Uncle Mike is short and uncomfortable. You don't wish him more suffering than he's already had, but you also don't like him and don't fully understand why you're supposed to see him. On your way home from your uncle's, you wonder if there are more arguments under socialism. It can be tedious for every major decision to be democratically decided, especially when there are no easy answers. The question about keeping stores open 24 hours, for example, which pits a minor convenience for many consumers against a more substantial sacrifice for a small number of workers, has been reversed multiple times over the years. It can be exhausting to constantly question old assumptions and habits, and then not have the false reassurance that everything will be okay because the people in charge are wiser than you, which we no longer have that false assurance, obviously. No, Trump. Um, you imagine that socialism is a bit like parenthood, a new world of responsibilities that are sometimes overwhelming, but also imp impossible to imagine not having. Maybe you'll drop by a philosophy discussion tonight. There's a Tuesday one at a bar in your neighborhood to bounce some of these ideas around. But first you think as you pull up in front of your beautiful Victorian three-monther, it's time for a well-deserved early day nap. And scene. Everyone clap for Danny. Mm. On the microphone. One, two, three. I didn't know if I should clap for myself. Oh, my God. He even had a clap for me. Wow. Oh, oh she's oh. giving a slow oh, clap. Oh, my God. The ironic <laughs> slow clap. <laughs> Great job, Dad. <laughs> Reading your own book. <laughs> that was great. That, that was my favorite part, I thought. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the 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 part of the whole intellectual circle you get the least of is people actually imagining what winning would ever look like. Well, yeah, I mean, and when when I started writing the book, that was the first part that I wrote only because I was just even for myself trying to do a mental exercise to be like, OK, I know I'm going to be trying to make this book about how socialism is actually a, a much bigger change than most people think it is and, and how do I I even had to give myself that kind of mental exercise to, to put myself in a space of, of, of thinking that so uh, you also tackled one of the big uh, sticky parts of the revolution which is counter-revolutionaries meeting up in Dunkin Donuts's <laughs> to plot everyone's downfall in kind of like a fun uh, crazy uncle kind of way <laughs> which is pretty cool because uh, usually that's not how you think of those people yeah I mean then that's kind of uh, something that's happened right in the real world when you got places in Latin America world where the wealthy try to stymie what's what the state is doing by uh, using their powers to shorten food 
Yeah, just because they have magic doesn't yeah. mean they should use it. And you know, part of what by by setting it, you know, uh, post, you know, when when those sort of uh, counter revolutions have been defeated, right? Uh-huh. Um, the point I was trying to get at, because a question I've gotten tons over the years is like, oh, but what happens under socialism? Like, not everybody's gonna agree. You know what I mean? And right. the implication being like, so like, are you gonna put them all in the gulag or whatever? And it's like, okay, so there's there's not agreeing when you have the power to hoard pharmaceuticals to try to bring down a yeah. system and there's not agreeing when you're like i don't agree but you're like you're just uh, you know if you can win a majority of that in there's just the a new democratic votes. system hey go for it but when you don't you know so, but there's that assumption that that um socialism depends on everybody agreeing on everything which i was really trying to go with uh-huh. pains to be like no it's once people actually democratically control the wealth we can disagree like hell about exactly the best ways to, to yeah, go Yeah, you really about it. nailed how much it sucks to argue with people, even if it's an ideal situation. Right. <laughs> Which is what Facebook is today. Right. Facebook, socialism in action. I dream of a day where there are no Facebook This is targets. terrible branding. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, that's, I, I mean, something that I think is interesting about it is like there are would be more well-rounded people, right? You'd be exposed to a wider array of things uh, growing up, um, you wouldn't but, be able to just like sit in a corner and sulk as much like people like to do now. Uh huh. I'm sure that would exist if that's your thing. Well, you, you can know, you're free to. It's yeah. your option, right? But uh, but what of the specialists in the world? Because you know, obviously, um, Anders Lee mm-hmm. can't walk into a hospital next week and you know start no no being a doctor. That would be a bad even use. even if you really believed in yourself. Uh... I could be you like could do a, some things nurses do. Yeah, I could g- g- dole out lollipops and stuff. Band, I can apply band aids. Right, like a nurse. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Hand out lollipops. Right, but there's still gonna be people who have their passions, right, and who wanna, you know, do that one thing, right? In socialism, they're still. Yeah, well, so I mean, I don't see any reason why, right? People who really want, so you get two different versions of you get you sort of get opposite questions. Like you'll you'll frequently get the question that's like, oh, but who would ever be a doctor if right. like doctors were paid the same as truck drivers? And it's like I know a lot of people that really <laughs> think it's cool to like cure, you know, like yeah. there's so many more people who want to be doctors but grow up poor or whatever and like never get the chance to do that in a million years than there are people who are doctors who'd be like screw that i mean there are some but everyone like, that's, knows you, know. you only become a doctor to buy a boat you can see from space right mm-hmm. right that's the end goal of medicine and it has been since the greeks when it was much harder to build boats so i mean that that's one version right but then that the other side of um is well hmm, i talked myself into a corner what's the other side well i think but the, yeah I think there is be, no other <laughs> side boom, right <laughs> i just proved my point um Right, I think you'd have there be. I, th- I think there is that dynamic of like, um, w- um, right. If everyone just pursued what they wanted, would there be? Does you know? Does that mean that society sort of gets the allocation of resources? So right now we rely. We the system we rely on is a market for that, right? right. I think the idea that um, in a society where say there is developing a shortage of. Con- forest ranger you know like we like whatever whatever uh-huh. thing we need right that you don't think that like that in a democratic society where people are actually they're one society could be like okay we may have to up the incentives for this job right you right. know in, in order in order to make that happen more um i also do think people would first of all who wouldn't that sounds like a dope job but not for me i grew up in the yeah. city but i think well, a lot definitely of people, would, people yeah right uh, uh the one question 
I know that that entire chapter, as much as I liked it, was uh, not real. It out wasn't of, a real came thing out of my happened. ass. Yes, right. <laughs> and so it's uh, you know not super important to break down piece by piece, but <laughs> I guess just but what uh, happened to Uncle Mike? What are you? <laughs> Where is Uncle Mike? No one has heard from Uncle Mike since October eighth, the same date as the WikiLeaks release. Uh, uh, you know, you have to wonder, and I guess this is just like a, your opinion on this, but, you know, what do you do when people working Tuesday through Thursday and they have early day twice a month? What do you do when they don't follow the rules in, you know, socialist world? And there's like very, you know, dem- you're picking your own rules, but, you know, people are still going to break them just because that's how the world works. Right, and and right, and I certainly wouldn't want to imagine that under socialism it just means everybody becomes a completely boring rule follower, and you know what yeah, I mean, like yeah. that it's some creepy utopian. Um, I think I mentioned in the book, like you know, throughout science, like generally when people try to imagine utopias, they're they're incredibly creepy, right? Because right. they they tend to involve this idea of suddenly everybody just gets it, and everybody is this, you know, everyone's plugged into the yeah. the same logic, so. <laughs> Um, There's I, drugs in all of these. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, they're all drugged. It's right. the giver in every single one of these situations. Um, so, but I do, th- so the, the caveat for all this stuff is, of course, I, I could throw out my own theories, but we, like, the, the idea is yeah. I do have faith in a society where, like, people have more control that they'll figure out um, solutions to real problems. I also do think that peer pressure has yeah. kind of worked throughout history right so like when when you're letting your co-workers down there's always going to be some people who are a little more on the sociopathic end of the spectrum who like that, that doesn't bother. capitalism right. where you right. don't even have an option to not go to work like, i mean yeah. the, the amount of pressure most of us feel to do a good job even for companies that we know are full of shit for supervisors we have no respect for but one out of a sense of our own sense of self-worth of doing the job and even more than that like not letting our co-workers down i would say nine out of ten people most of us know or do that even in a society where we don't where every time you come up with an initiative it seems like you get punished like that your your job finds a way to make you have to do twice as much work so in a society where actually like you have more say and if you come up with an idea that can save people time it'll really just save people time it mm-hmm. won't mean like and then one of you gets fired you know like yeah. then um I, I i think we're just very social creatures again there's always gonna be a some people that um don't seem to be bothered by like totally being disliked by the people around them and they oh they'll be the forest rangers Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the only well, thing well, is like i can't uh, no matter how dystopian you get you can't imagine the punishment for not showing up to these jobs being worse than the current situation yeah. and that's kind of yeah. my what i would say if i was a citizen you're not gonna be sent to this... rikers and attacked by dogs like you yeah. would here if you break the law Right, and that's, yeah, if I'm in, you know, in 2050 when uh, Lila's running things and I'm like an old... Oh, God. <laughs> Lila's eye-rolling <laughs> so hard she was going to go blind. <laughs> but I think I would say, like, um, those people, if they don't show up uh, and if they don't do their part, they don't get to, they might not get to use the resources of their community in the same way as other people. So it's like, hey, you want to have... You're in a band and you guys want to play a show at like this, you know, venue that's like community controlled and owned. Uh, great. Oh, wait. Did you like um, do your what you did you pitch in this week? Like, no. OK, well, like, sorry, you don't get to get to do it until you show us that you're like actually helping out a little bit. Uh, the difference between now and then is th- even in that scenario, they still get to eat, you uh-huh. know. No um, one dies, right? When you mess up your band practice, yeah. Perhaps. And you know, it's and it's like in some the thing that I think 
is a real problem is not so much that like oh it's it's uh just this timeless part of human nature that we that people um are are selfish or that the people aren't going to want to follow the rules it's actually more like i feel like every decade under capitalism we do actually get worse and worse at, at all knowing how to live in a community uh-huh. how to be you know like like oh, so, sure. so you go back and i don't want to romanticize things but like people living you know not just in a village 200 years ago but like when people were much more part of like 100 clubs and civic yeah. <laughs> but even just like part of more communities like people you had to learn when more people were in unions that actually had like a real life you had to um there's this movie called um you guys ever heard of the take it's with the naomi Klein oh, yeah, movie yeah. about like argentine Argentin, yeah. it's like workers were taking over factories in argentina to keep them from being closed and this is one scene that always sticks with me well there's this worker who's talking about like they're taking he's like you know you start voting on things as a factory and at first you lose the vote and like it's really hard and then you you start learning like oh sometimes we're gonna lose but other times we're gonna win he was basically like being part of a real democracy and like and learning to accept that i think very few americans like we always talk about like other countries around the world like oh they don't understand they don't have a culture of democracy like we have no culture of democracy i'm in activist meetings and when people disagree for the first time they walk out of the room they're like you know they're blasting people on facebook or whatever like without without ever having the ever things that they would never say face to face my point just being that like i do think one that one challenge facing us around socialism is that like every day we're getting socialized even worse to just be completely atomized alienated individuals and that is something that we're going to have to overcome but that's not some timeless thing that's like all the more reason why we got to fight for socialism now because we're like it's capitalism that's making us worse and you know worse and worse it's something that i think is kind of part of our species makeup is to learn how to is is knowing how to like live together and work together yeah i don't i don't know what part of the city you live in but uh in bushwick which is like gentrification ground zero right now Mm -hmm. for the l train the newest people who moved in so i've lived there for like four years Mm -hmm. and the neighborhood has gotten like noticeably sadder every year as the people who were too poor to like live there moved out and the people on the street stop saying hi to each other and it just starts being like weird app staring competitions on the street and no one knows who their neighbor is anymore it's very sad because yeah. that's like one of our biggest advantages is connection is actually a human need and so even just going to a meeting like Anders and I both joined the DSA I've mm-hmm. only been to a handful of meetings but it feels great being there you get to have a team you all believe in things you meet people so I, I think so I'm in I'm in the ISO the International Socialist Organization I'm, and every socialist group is growing DSA is like exploding I couldn't be happier about it because to me the experience of right the more people that start seeing politics not just as something that they are more radical than now online, mm-hmm. but like is actually about getting in meetings face to face, having to make decisions. You know what I mean? Like having to break down into working groups and 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 start building those relations. Like that to me is the most hopeful thing that's happening right now because that is like, um, yeah, that that's it's not socialism, but yeah. it is like that's actually how we're we're the more the more people that and it doesn't have to be. Even a socialist group, the more people who are joining political, I don't want it to be, you know, um, fascist groups or whatever, but the more people that are joining left wing groups and getting the experience of working together, that's actually how our side gets closer to, you know, not just winning the reforms we're trying to win, but actually being, you know, more, more socialist. Fascist groups can actually be great communities to learn shaving tips. (laughs) <laughs> but um i think this gets down to the end game of what we're really looking for here which is anarchic syndicalism 
Mm-hmm. Right, guys? Fights in the well, streets? Oh, yeah. And what, but that's... I mean, to one person's anarchic cynic, as you say in, in the book, you uh, wouldn't mind calling yourself a communist. You know, the, a lot of this stuff ultimately is the, the same um, same end game end goal. Uh, I do think, though, with DSA right now, there I have noticed a lot of people don't necessarily subscribe to that. They're they're kind of more into the um, social democratic, uh, someone call reformist politics um uh but i think we at least believe in working with that i seem like you do uh we do have a friend though who was on the show a few months ago who was a member of the sep i don't know if you're familiar with them oh yeah and uh <laughs> he not so much he i think yeah he is uh feel free to he check would out say, ed's episode uh clown cries trotsky it's all about trotsky and it is a doozy he's a yes he's an <laughs> irish clown uh anyway he his critique would, would be that you have to be um super independent from capitalism and it has to be you know don't bother with elections and there are um obviously a lot of anarchists who don't believe in voting or working in the electoral system but there are some socialists and, and communists who believe in that too um, what would your response be to that? You know, I guess I, I think I put myself somewhere in between those two positions because I, I'm not opposed to elections as a rule. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I think that elections are, I mean, I think we saw with the, the Sanders campaign, just how much an election can galvanize, can put, because most people only pay attention to politics around presidential election time, right? Yeah. There was nothing like Bernie Sanders' campaign in terms of raising um, social democratic ideas. You know, what, what he was calling socialist ideas, whatever, it's a form of socialist uh-huh. ideas. The idea of redistributing wealth, the idea of taxing the rich, the, the raising people's expectations that we can have universal health care, child care, college education, things like that. You know, a political campaign can do that in a way that, that's a little bit unique. On the other hand, I think that, in, I think that we basically don't really have democracy um and that it's very hard to um you know the history of this country in particular you know you can look at some countries where it's it's been a little bit different almost every change that that and and development of the left in this country has been through protest movements and strikes you know ending slavery a war um you know women's suffrage um, the weekend and segregation, the weekend, you know, that's all, my favorite one. Cause right. everyone likes the weekend and to, and really in all those things, you know, so it's, it's not, so I have a very strong critique of the democratic party as being, I think irredeemable despite the, despite how many good people are in it. You know what I mean? Who voted for Bernie Sanders, but I think there's something very inevitable about, I think the party ultimately doesn't belong to us, but even beyond that, you know, so I've supported green party campaigns and Jill Stein, but it's never the main focus for me because I just think in any country where there's far more people that aren't even allowed to vote because they have criminal records or because of because they're immigrants then makes up the difference between who wins the election that's not really a democracy right, right. so so there's the social movements to me are the um, farm you know to me like like in the coming months and years you know there's gonna be some people who are saying well we these protests are great, but we really just got to focus on 2018 and taking back Congress, i.e., for the Democratic Party, right? I understand that appeal. To me, I'm gonna, I'm on the side that's saying, one, we can't even wait till 2018 because Trump, who knows, like what yeah. dictatorship he can establish by then. But even even if we could, the 
it's the airport protests that reverse the muscle man, right? And then he's going to come back and do something. But it's more, this country is much more always about the direct confrontation uh-huh. between power and the streets. May Day this year. What is, you know, is that, can we actually get hundreds of thousands or millions of people, immigrants taking off work, unions taking off work? It might be a long shot. But, like, you know, to me, like, that, that's where the power lies. I, to my experience with people in DSA is you'll get people who think both those things, right? You know what I mean? And it's sort of, a, it'll be a debate. Well, it's a lot uh, of news. Right, it's a yeah. lot. It's a lot of new people, um, and right. so and partly w- w- one reason I'm writing this book. What I'm I want, you know, whatever organization people are in, these people, a bunch of these people who are new, I want to sort of expose them to that Marxist tradition, which is about like that that power that we have as workers. You know, where elections are one piece of that, but not you know, it's more like a, a one expression of it. But the direct power is like. You see a day without an immigrant. You see, you know what I mean? You right, see people right. actually showing that power. I agree with what you're saying 100%. And I want to qualify something I said last week because I was editing our podcast and it ends with me. You were trying to talk about Elizabeth Warren and pushing her towards better policies on foreign stuff. And then I interrupted you and just said elections suck over and over again. And while I stand by what I said, what I meant was U.S. federal elections suck. They are so disappointing and boring and disheartening. But elections in general they're okay you're allowed to vote on stuff well they're yeah good i just and it's done. <laughs> <laughs> i guess a question i'm grappling with and i don't have an answer to this but it's like uh yeah movements uh, that's how you can stop things like we're you know what's happening now hope with the muslim ban hopefully that's going to be stopped by a protest sometimes you can get the government to do things mm-hmm. from a protest um uh, but how do you actually take power without an election um dual power well i would say that right so for one what we talked about before in russia where like that <laughs> yeah. that really wasn't a democracy that was officially a, a monarchy and all that uh-huh. even even when they have you know when you look at the soviets right it's, it's people forming you know these workers councils that are really creating their own totally different kind of government that's one thing, which I'm not saying, oh, the solution right now is Soviets, but it is something for us to keep in mind that it's partly because our protest movements are in early stages and we uh-huh. are so bad at the democracy thing that we tend to not, especially right now, our version of, we don't even know how to protest two months in advance. Like we just, everything is just like Facebook tomorrow, you know what I mean? Go out. Like that's how um, we've just become so like reactive. So, but if, if we if we are able out of these movements to start building whether it's a whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's you know movements in solidarity with Standing Rock, whether it's immigrants' rights stuff, if you start getting to a point where like in every neighborhood there's actual organizations that are democratic, people can come in or like what are we fighting for now? It's still about the resistance more than the taking power, but it becomes more than just like how do we stop the latest thing? You know what I mean? It yeah. can become a little bit more like what are we right. fighting for? But then I also think in this country, we're not, when I say we're not really a democracy, I don't mean we're a complete dictatorship. So I also do think that if our movements are a lot stronger, if you have literally a few million people that are somewhat active in movements, which is not what we have yet, right? Then you're in a position where to me, we actually could talk about a new party being built that would be really different than the Democrats or Republicans. It would uh-huh. be like active chapters and people voting on what's our platform going to be. And if the people we elect 
don't do it. We can get rid of them. You know, all this stuff that doesn't, like Barack Obama, people hope he's going to be elected and end the deportations. He increases them. Nothing you can do. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. The, stru- the structure of these parties is and like... He uh-huh. candidates with a party that actually holds them accountable. Jacobin's fall issue actually did... The Seth Ackerman. Yeah, their entire yeah, yeah. book, pretty much, right. just on the fall of the Socialism Party and like how to build a new party. Uh, so we're going to have to wrap up here soon, but um, I did want to ask... But you know, before anything moves on, so you, this book came out in 2015. Mm-hmm. Have you been invited to any like uh, speaking opportunities or you know radio things that were essentially a trap? Has there been any gotcha journalism? <laughs> Not you know, no. You haven't been invited on the Fox News right, to defend exactly. your book, and I, and I don't know what I don't know if I would have uh, done it, but no, it's been mostly friendly. Oh, okay, right. What? Is that, I think it's I'm a sim- little disappointed. I'm a little disappointed too. I think it's a symptom of it, you know, when it's all friendly, you're a little bit still on the margins. But, um, you know, but then I'm, I'm doing another book this this uh, coming year about uh, about democracy, about Trump, about how we got to this point, and yeah. maybe uh, maybe then I'll have the pleasure of being sabotaged and and. Maybe even having some video guy try to set me up and look like a child molester. You know, there's all sorts yeah. of... The, the future's bright for me. Really. One-on-one with Milo. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's called conflict, and it makes the story. <laughs> well, I did what... If we have... Uh, get yeah, your response do, like, from the... Uh, more, yeah. Okay. yeah, the um, the Jacobin article, yeah, which seemed to heavily be implying that DSA was... Could be this new uh, quote-unquote party where it's not really a party, but it's like a... F- the 501c thing where um, you sometimes endorse Democratic people running in Democratic primaries. You also endorse people running as independents, et cetera. Uh, do you, are you a critic of that or do you think that uh, is something to, to work for? I'm more a critic of it. I was really glad it got written because I think, you know, you know, the put, putting, putting, there's a lot, a lot of thought that went into it. And uh-huh. so it, it, it gives, it gives us all something to sort of like, um, bat around and, and agree with or disagree with the parts that I thought were so the parts that really went through the the, the objective difficulties the sort of the part that there was kind of like eh, we're fucked either way which was true was how hard it is to build a third party how how impossible it is to like turn the democratic party which was easily into, half of the article right you know and, <laughs> and it's true and it we, looks and, bad yeah anyway <laughs> we need to we need to I, I took part in a in like a friendly debate actually with um with Bashkar you know from Jack yeah, we were, yeah, talk, yeah. were talking about the and you know, one point I made was like, "Hey, look, let's let's not even pretend either of our sides is easy, right? You know, like you, you want to talk about my project of trying to eventually build a third party. Well, that hasn't really been successfully done since the Republicans in eighteen sixty, uh-huh. and you know, the project of trying to f- turn the Democratic Party into an actual force for working people has never happened, right? So either way, like pick your one and zero, oh. right? But but I, I didn't. My point Those wasn't to make my Those side just, sound really realistic either, right? Um, so I think it's right that it starts in that spirit of like let's be sober about you know about this. I think that it's um the 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 dangers that I see in sort of flirting with will run democratic party things here and there and not is I think it's easy to overestimate your own organization's ability to not get sucked in mm-hmm. to like this is a the democratic party has made its living on sucking in generation after generation of you know, lefties and radicals who all think that they're they're just going to play games with the Democratic Party and and come out of it stronger. And the Democratic Party has ways of saying no, 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 no. You know what I mean? Like that—that's not how it's going to work. So not that, just them, but the Social Democratic parties in Europe too. Right. 
have never actually like challenged right. capital in a way that would be debilitating for them. Yeah, but it, I think it is worth noting too that the um, opponents on the left to the Democratic Party so far have been people like Jill Stein, who I voted for twice in, in safe states, but but uh, and you know, Nader before her, who are who are capitalists. They're not you know really they, socialists. They made some kind of weird transition on the green party ballot this year that said they were anti-capitalist yeah in theory they didn't put a label on it because it's organic but (laughs) they're not for sale yeah but so then what prevents something like that from going the same way as no not nothing and 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 except at the end of that that ackerman article he even he even writes by the way, all this stuff can't really happen as long. You know, we, we're going to need some base in the unions. Like, like right. I, I think to his credit, he makes a point that like you're not really talking about. You know, again, talking about materialism, like the, a basis of a party has to be rooted in not just a bunch of people clicking like, but uh-huh. real some actual social force. And even as weak as unions are, um, there's not really other forces. It's not like we see thousands of Black Lives Matter chapters that have hundreds of people or there's immigrant organization like like there there's little things here and there but unions remain the largest uh organizations of the working class right and so it's one thing if you're talking about okay in these three or four unions that have a membership of a few million people but sort of within that maybe there's like tens of thousands of like active workers who are down with building a new party, right? Whether it's a social democratic party, whether it's a more radical socialist party, that's when you're really talking about building something new. Either way, we're not there yet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think, I think if that's to me as a socialist, you ISO, you're in DSA, whatever part of your goal should be over the next year to out of these protests that are happening, are we developing thousands of people, ideally many of them workers and unions, but wherever who are like, are kind of, being one to that project, you know, like, like, and, and, and like, but that, that's when this, this kind of conversation will be more, um, realistic. My fear is that if before that it can just become a reason to be like, well, we'll endorse this democratic campaign or like, I, and, and again, to me, it's not so much counterposing that to green party campaigns. It's more saying that like, I think the, the, the main focus of, for me as a socialist is going to be, not just sort of protesting, but within the protest, trying to build democratic movement structures yeah. and more people within them who are socialists and are learning about. We're buying my book. Let me just be <laughs> honest. My, my goal is to make as much money right. off of this uh, moment as possible. So. That's the end game of socialism. Right. Yeah. Well, what, well, it'll what? be a it'll be a positive sign when we're going to DSA meetings and there's people there who do not have a graduate degree. I feel like we need more working class people in these organizations. That's when you know it's going to be go time. Yeah, yeah and that doesn't mean that those people who do, it's not like one of those, oh, you need to step no, back. It's like, no, you learn them. and then help build, you know. With but a that will mean group. like yeah. our message is actually taking hold in places that we can actually, you know, reach out and do stuff. The Rust Belt. Yeah. <laughs> well, but and look. The Rust Belt. Think about how many, how many people took part in the Women's March protests right they went uh, on you know the day after the inauguration uh-huh. all range of classes you know what i mean like cro- around the like not all those people are socialists of course i saw a, a huge range of political opinion oh, oh yeah no 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 i know stories for that because i do <laughs> but the point is is that there's um i i think that the audience beyond the sort of 
grad students and labor organizers and you know what I mean? Like is yeah. is maybe not quite there yet, but there's a real audience for already existing socialists to to start winning. Right, know? right, and uh, and that's you know something you mentioned earlier, uh, Alex, about dual power. Like and the, the meeting with I mentioned it very unconfidently. Well, but I think that <laughs> dual, dual power. Yeah. But like I remember I just after intern the, here. <laughs> that I remember after the meeting uh, that the uh, thing at Verso, um, I was talking with some friends, and it's like we're talking about: do we go inside the Democratic Party, outside the Democratic Party? Do we focus on street stuff? Like what's and um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of conversation right now about just building economic structures that are socialist. You know, that are is there is there potential there? Is that um, gonna i mean obviously there's gonna be challenges with that too but is that something people should be focusing on just having a place where you can what a great first step it would be to even set up just like a iso or dsa food bank yeah something like that so like little structures like that that we could like maybe fund from membership dues or whatever and just keep going that just people like like that or a bocce ball court back to the back to the shuffleboard shuffleboard court well one or the other. I see, I see them as two different things because I think, to me, the main idea of, like, whether it was a food thing or whatever, there's building, like, culture, cultural spaces. More To me, I see it, the strength of that more in the cultural sense than the economic sense. Like, mm-hmm. the more we are creating, like, um, spaces to get together, food is very essentially involved in that. You know what I mean? Like it takes work to do that. It takes planning. That strengthens our movement in that way. I don't think this, I don't think it strengthens it as much in terms of like, oh, this is some island outside of capitalism that's a co-op or whatever. Because generally that tends to be huge time resources right. that actually take you away. F- it's, it, it puts you more back into just the grad students talking to each other. And now this isn't a dig at DSA. I'm just saying like what you, what you were bringing up or, or the membership uh-huh. of any group, like just serving each other whereas like if we're talking about the economic structures i think there's sort of an existential threat facing unions in the coming year right like they're gonna try congress is gonna go for making every state uh right to work state i mean this is something even in new york even in even in the island uh the, the bubble that we're in that the you know the, and not i know not everybody's in a union so it could feel like what what can we do right but to me like I don't think I know anyone in a union. There's been an alarming My silence mom. about this, alarming silence from the unions, which are in such bad shape that they have no idea how to even fight this attack. Whether you're in a union or not, we can be building protests, you know, against this, all this kind of stuff. Now it's going to require unions sort of setting a lead on that. But so that's one, in terms of the economic fight, the weaker the unions are, the weaker teachers' unions are, nurses' unions are, you know, the, the journalists that are starting to form unions, um, the weaker all of us are. You know, like in terms, like, so that that's, I, I think it's more going to be about the same kind of protests and fights, but just more on the on that economic front. Okay. Um, so we're around time to wrap this up now. Anybody have any closing uh any radical statements that will really just upset the audience and leave them coming back for more? Lila. You're on you're on the spot. Say something inflammatory. The meat industry is bad. Okay, that's pretty good. That can be interpreted a lot of ways, a lot of <laughs> controversial ways. Exactly. Industry is bad from future revolutionary 
leader Lila. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Danny, for joining us today. Yeah. Do Do you have any plugs or anything coming up? Um. Nah. I mean, you know, I write regularly for uh, socialistworker.org, so people should check me out there. Danny, catch check him out there. Uh, right. Wait, I wanted to do one. I'm starting a new podcast about Dragon Ball Z. So, like, if you aren't really that into this podcast, but could see some other positives, but you talk li- more yeah, about list, Dragon Ball you've Z. You've listened to over an hour of this conversation. It's <laughs> 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 so stupid. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. That's it. <laughs> Left chest. Thank you.